I live for shows, for art. I like attending them as much as I love performing them. It's really, it's my water, it's what feeds me. The vibes you get backstage or in a dressing room, on stage, right before show, or when you're taking your final bow at the end of the show, there is all these human connections, all this energy is, I'm, I'm loving it. So it's really about all the people that you meet and getting to travel and being exposed to all these cultures. And for me, the full process only ends once I've shared my work with an audience. Welcome to the Theatre Art Live podcast, and hello. We're putting the spotlight on those who create live entertainment around the globe, the culture creators, the backstage masters. My name is Anna Aguilera. And my name is Anna. On this episode, we'll be talking to Martin Frenette about how the world of dance and circus can emerge. Impassionate by performing arts, Martin started intensive dance training at a very young age before trading plié and barré for robes and somersaults at Montreal National Circus School. He has spent a decade in Europe where he got to perform in several shows in numerous countries such as Circus Monty, Gamalion Theatre, Wintergarten Varieté, Cirque Buffon, Max Entertainment Palace, or the Friedrichsbach Varieté, to name a few. Next to being an aerialist and a dancer, Matin has also been working as an artistic consultant, director, and choreographer, both for circus and dance projects. He very much enjoys splitting his time between Europe and North America and getting to create both on and off stage. Writing has always been one of Matin's passions, and he's thrilled to share his views on shows, the stage, and what's going on behind the scenes with us all at Theatre Art Life. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's so exciting to be actually doing a podcast after we've known each other for years, Martin. It's fantastic. <laughs> but it's like, well, someday we'll meet in person too, but I mean, it's been three years and to hear voice is exciting in a way. <laughs> it's amazing. Usually it's lots of text messages and editing and, and uh, like... discussion discussion about our article. So we, we gave you the we gave you the bio of, of you, but tell us a little bit about you as a performer and uh, you know how and why you became a performer in this life and, and, and what you love about being on stage. Well, it's really about storytelling. As a kid, I was really, really fond of all like fairy tales and books and stories. And then early on was really drawn to shows to as a kid going to you know like kids' theater and dance shows and ballets and I've always been really, um, yeah, just drawn to stories, to imagination. And then when I realized early on that I could do them by myself or like or with others to create uh, pieces and shows, um, there was a clear path for me with performing arts. And then uh, dance was the first thing that came to me. And I think most people thought I was going to be a dancer because I was dancing hours a week. I was in several dance schools. I went to an intensive sports studies program to dance. And then eventually the need for, I would say, reach higher limits and be pushed even harder came through. And that came through circus. I think with circus, especially with the modern, with the contemporary circus, I really saw a fusion of all these art forms. I felt there was the more stunning acrobatic aspect, but also dance was present, theater, music. So I think... 
this combination of all art forms and how it could really connect people and arts met it for me. And I live for shows, for art. I like attending them as much as I love performing them. It's really, it's my water. It's what feeds me. I, I, I live for all kind of shows, um, whether I was going to see an, an art exhibit or going to see an opera or a traditional circus. It's really, it's so broad variety, like all that's possible. It's a bit the spices of life to me. You can't you can have too many shows or too many art forms, you know? So how would you describe, what, what does mean, dance mean to yourself? And then what does circus mean to yourself? Well, dance is movement. And to me, movement is life. Life is movement. Um, we all can move hands, we all can dance. And uh, I think even if you see like a bird on a tree going from one leg to the other, it's a dance. If you see a ballerina going through Grand Adagio for endless, endless, endless counts, that's dance too. So, but really to me, just dance it's life because we all have a way of moving. We all have a way. And that's something that I tend to maybe not connect with, but that I really notice with someone, the way they move. I tend to see a little dance when I'm meeting someone for the first time. Uh, some respond to voice or to eyes. I really respond to a way someone moves. I like to see a little dance in every person. For me, that really is, yeah, dance is a huge part of life to me. And with circus, I would say um, it's maybe going for making the, yeah, making the impossible possible, going for the higher limit again. It's about, and so with Scudbury Circus, it's about, uh, what I said before, this fusion of art forms. But circus at its core, if you go back to tradition, I would say it's really about, uh, yeah, balancing dungeon art and yeah making the impossible possible basically when you meet people and you see that dance do you use those moments as inspiration in your own craft when you went like do you use them as, as as resources oh clearly clearly uh so no one has asked me for copyrights yet but uh i've i've, I've actually totally i've used sometimes on on shows i was working on while working on an act or some choreography Clearly, sometimes it was an arm move or a step that reminded me of, it's always recording in my brain. Like when I see some interesting movements, it ain't always someone uh, that you see on a stage or on TV. It really can be on the street. Like, oh, that's okay. Yeah, that will go into eventually. <laughs> Clearly, yeah. How do you fusion those two? How do you make dance and circus work together? For me, the main thing really is about again going back to movement but choreography and clearly because I was a dancer before I was the artist the thing that I tend to maybe struggle with at times when I'm attending shows is the lack of attention that was put on choreography sometimes I will see acts or shows that are have brilliant performers and the tricks are great but they're not linked properly or they could come out even better. It could be better presented and it could be better highlighted if the choreography was better. 
So for me, um, choreography is the huge link between dance and circus. How do you connect the move? Where is the move coming from as well? I think the dance training I got for years really helps with that. I think it's about really dance and circus are connecting with, it is dance to me is the link within circus. Clearly, sorry. I kind of understand that because, you know, otherwise if you're just sort of performing the acrobatics of the circus, then it, it, a lot of people have seen certain moves and the postures of certain traditional circus. But if you're bringing your own choreography and that um, uniqueness through, through dance and choreography, you can make that traditional act be uh, an, your own expression. Would you, would you say that's the truth? Totally. And uh, the thing I say the most is anyone can do a trick Anyone can learn to do that somersault, that drop, that twist, but we all have our own way of moving. And it's really about, for me, when I'm working with an artist or teaching someone, it's about how do we do it your way? It ain't about how was it done on Instagram or how you saw your coach doing it. How can we make it yours? Because that's how people are getting cast. That's how people are getting work and are standing out is they're doing it their own way. So again, going back to this idea of uh, live being movement and our own way of moving, if you use an artist's very natural way of moving, you can really put a color to a trick that you've never seen before. Could you try to explain to people that may be listening who are not involved in arts or dance or circus what is and how does the creative process work and, and what, what does that look like? Is, is there an easy way to explain that to a layman? It starts, well, the first thing from a very boring corporate part is who am I going to perform for? In which venue? Sorry, what is the mood? So are we researching what will be the atmosphere, the team, maybe the clients or yeah, just getting a bit the, the big picture. So first time with the big picture, where is it going to be for whom? And then um, it starts from within, from what is from the out to the in. What is my intention? What are the emotions that I want to share? For me, that's something that I'm really inspired by. The, this initial, just, yeah, the, the intention, the emotion, what I want people to share. I'm not someone that's really into the big lies and the big applause. And what I want is I want people to feel what I'm feeling when I'm on my rope or on stage. So to be able to do so when I'm doing my rope tricks or dancing, I need first to identify what is it? What is this emotion I want to share? And a huge part of it also comes from the music. So for me, um, I can't create a trick or choreograph something and then add music afterwards. So the music will set a lot. Going back to the atmosphere, the big picture, the music is a huge component of any creative process. Therefore, uh, it, a lot of it will come from the music. And like the last act I created for a show I did uh, last year in Germany, literally I was doing insomnia one night, got up at around two in the morning, hit shuffle and this sound came out and I was like, oh, and I, I was sitting in my living room, the dark, just the music and the act came out of this. It really came out of the music. Even like the emotion I had in mind first got clearer. So the music really helps a lot because it's a bit 
if you like at a, at a movie, it has a soundtrack that builds atmosphere. The way you strut down, walk down the street, uh, if it's raining, if there are birds singing, if there's traffic, it will affect the way you walk. So for me, the whole sound music atmosphere really helps building a lot of the creative process. And then it's, uh, I would say about connecting, going back to choreography, connecting all these elements. So what do you have to work with? If it's a play, is it, so do you have a script? If it's a circus act, what are the tricks that you already have? And then how do you connect all of those, basically? Would you say it's a different process when you are going to be on stage than when you're going to be off stage? Oh, clearly. Um, the one thing that I would say that is common in both is I'm as physical in a way. Like when I'm working, when I'm doing choreography for someone else, I'm not going to go up on the trapeze or necessarily go and do the, like, the tap dance steps but I will be next to them and I will get on the stage and I will move. I will try to feel, I will look at the artist moving and I will try to feel it myself. I don't need to show them the move, but try to move and feel what is the vibe they're getting as well. So I was, I'm as, I'm maybe not sweating as much, but I'm as physical when I'm working for someone else. When I'm doing creation for myself, there is much more introspection, much more work on again the intention the emotions what is it i want to share i need to make that clearer i think that's something when i'm working with someone else that's does i will try to get what they're giving me clearly there's much more observation work when you're choreographing or doing coaching for someone else i need to identify that person's energy what is their motivation what is their energy how can i how can i make them look the best they are How can I make their intentions clearer? How can I make the movement sharper, better? Um, so there's much more looking at when I'm working with someone. When I'm working for myself, it's much more looking in, basically. And what are some of your artistic influences? Tell us about those and why. I would say it. I don't have names per se that influence me. It's about the shows that I will see or the movies that I'm, as I said before, I'm consuming a lot of art on a daily basis. So at a time it can be, I'm going to be reading books that will inspire me or um, it could be like last year when I was working on this act, I was really a lot into black and white movies and I was watching a lot of them and went back and said some stuff also from like, 20s and 30s, I don't know from how far away it went, that could be, so what I'm in the mood for, what is the show calling for? At one point I was, and I'm, I still love Broadway musicals, so at one point I was really watching Love Broadway, but for a very non-Broadway, glamouring, glittery show, it was more like a community circus show, and yet all the energy was so powerful that group I was working with had this powerful energy and I felt this powerful vibe from Broadway that fed me because I saw a link between these energies. So I don't have, let's say like uh, let's say Bob Fosse or uh, Shakespeare. I have like names like this. It's more um, the, the art and the shows that I'm feeding myself of that I'm witnessing 
will influence me clearly. So you've been working for the past 10 years, am I right? Between uh, Europe and North America. Are there any specific countries you like better or that you've been working more uh, with these cultures? And what's the difference between working in one continent versus the other one? Well, it's been, actually, it's been since 2004. Right? It's like, oh, it's been a while. Yeah, <laughs> I would say the huge difference, if I just come to circus between Europe and North America, I want to say especially, actually, especially between Europe and Quebec, per se, we don't have a family tradition here. We don't have traditional circuses the way they are in Europe. So when you're over there, like the first tour that I did, the families are running the circuses. They have a tradition, they have a way of doing things, and they have a history to share. So there is much more this old, in a good way, this old-fashioned way, and they have a recipe that has proven successful. They've adapted themselves through time, and yet there is, at, at its core, there is a tradition that is there. There is this it isn't even nostalgia it's more yeah there is a history that we don't have here in north america I even mean, the us they've had also traditional circuses for years but i would say then if i can make again the connection here there is a much more i would say polished approach to european circuses like i've seen a few years ago when big apple circus came back i went to see the 2017 2018 show And I was surprised. I think I said that was the most European, North American show I've seen in the circus stand, you know? They have, uh, I think it is over there in Europe, it is less about making it big and huge. Of course, they'll have like the human cannonball and a big orchestra and the flying trees. But there's always the sense of detail and making sure like the feta is the right length. and the girl on the tie wire does the right amount of steps before she turns. Uh, there was really attention to detail. And otherwise, I would say North America, when it comes to opera musical, especially, there is this thing, it needs to be huge and big. And I like it. I, I'm not saying oh, it all needs to be small, intimate, uh, but I think there is something very extravagant. And Like, uh, we'll spend it all now and we'll deal with the bills later. But, like, that's more maybe a risk taking. Where I feel in Europe, they want to play it safe. I think, let's see if it works. Like, you won't see as a company that has done classic theater pieces, repertoire pieces for the last 20 years. If they want to go into something new, they will give me a season of time. Okay, we'll have one modern piece this season. If it works, we'll have maybe. To the one after, there is more small, slow transition. Well, with America, it's oh, let's go, and okay, we'll see then. Okay, so they're more in the action now. Where in Europe, there's more or less thing first, and then we'll we'll move afterwards. You know, you said at the beginning that uh, you know you considered the place and the audience, and so in your personal creative process. Uh, the audience must differ from North America to, to Europe. And are you more audacious or less audacious with your creativity depending on that audience? And if so, which one? 
what I would say is I actually, no offense to Naruka, but I prefer European audience because they don't clap that easily. <laughs> they don't stand up all the time. It's how to work for you to deliver, right? Well, but, I, but actually I like if, the way I feel. Um, there were some cities, especially in Germany, where <laughs> I think for some of my colleagues as well, I've, I've been there for many years and I've worked there a lot. And often when I had a, a new friend or colleague I would come for the first time from North America, they would come back after their act like, am I bothering them? Am I disturbing? Like, why aren't they clapping? So I think European audiences, again, especially Germany and Switzerland, they, and actually some have told me so, they don't want to disturb you. They want to look at your act. And also something as simple as... Um, if I'm clapping with my hands around my face, I can't see you. Therefore, I want to wait till you're done and then I'll clap. I feel there was some kind of honesty, whether it's a clap or, yeah, if you get an innovation in Europe, oh, like Switzerland, our first saw I did over there, we had, we had one for the premiere and our boss, when we left the state, told us, remember that and then count them. To the tour, we had 10 months to go. And so by the end, you'll have them on one hand. That's how many you'll get ovations the whole season. So I think there's more of um, maybe the uh, audience is less about, they're less about, I don't want to say making the show about themselves, but I think sometimes with uh, North American audiences, clapping, cheering, and so on is almost like wanting to be part of the show, where in Europe, it's much more about, I'm here to witness something. I want to as if they want to consume it slower they don't want the show to be done quickly so they're more okay i'm gonna have a look i will feel it and i want to remember it i do not recall seeing people with their phones out or wanting to take pictures or during the show actually after the show is another story but i think they're more to want a lasting impression and they want to record in their heads what are they witnessing yeah, a more paced, more paced audience in Europe, probably. I always remember the opening music of the House of Dancing Water and the entire audience would be like this. <laughs> oh. <laughs> looking, at, <laughs> looking at the show through their camera. And, yeah. and it was just like this sea. And the, even though we made an announcement saying no phones, nobody cared. It was just like this <laughs> sea of screens. It was like, please put your phones down and watch the show. It's really, it's going to be okay. <laughs> But it's also, why do, you, why do you want to record, like, take a picture or something where you can watch it with your own eyes? Like, that's like, yeah, get it in. You don't, and then like, oh, last night, look, I, I was there last night. Yeah, but you're there right now. You're stopping the moment from happening by wanting to record it too. So, yeah. It is. It's, it's just constantly fascinating how people around the world behave in, in a theatrical environment. And it changes and it evolves and, and uh it's 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 it becomes more of a challenging job to to cross that line and reach across that fourth wall and bring them into the performance i think given all of the digital devices in front of them now so it's a challenge it is <laughs> what would you say is the favorite part of your job like your favorite part i would say all the encounters and the traveling being exposed to many cultures and again meeting all these people. I'm so thankful for all these amazing people I've met through my life, already through my career. I was yeah, the, the whole 
social aspect of the life with come with traveling, traveling and meeting people. I was are what I love the best. It's really the vibes you get backstage or in a dressing room, on stage, right before show, or when you're taking your final ball at the end of the show. There is all these human connections, all this energy. It's I'm I'm loving it. So it's really about all the people that you meet and you travel and being exposed to all these cultures. It's and you're paid to do so. I'm loving it. Yeah. And then you get to expand your library of movements every time you meet someone else. <laughs> there you go. There you go. And you're reconnecting. I, there, there are people that I met on my first tour in 2005, and we managed to meet again, and that was like in Switzerland. And yet we managed to meet again over the years in Italy, then in New York, and then in Montreal, and then in France. And so having also now with social media, uh, social network and all those things, we stay more connected. Probably it's a bit easier to and say, oh, look at that. Uh, Julia is in Stuttgart and I'm an hour away by train. I'm gonna, it's easy having these bonds and keeping them alive to time is great too, yeah. If there was something that you could change in the job or the industry, is there anything that you would like to make a see a shift happen? I would say probably giving more time for a show, a person to grow before calling it quit or saying, oh, like, you know, not, not working or we need to rush through. Like, I think there is uh, a huge attention that is put on creation, which is great. Um, okay, now we need more time to create, more time to create. And I'm a, I kind of be a little impatient in life in general. So at some time, like, okay, let's go. Make, make, sometimes I think we are putting so much time on creation and not enough sometimes on just doing the show. Now, so that's an economic reality. Or I've, a lot of shows only get like plays will run sometimes for two weeks, if not for three days. And that's it. So I think many shows will really grow if they get time. Unfortunately, it's not all of them are private that can run for, like on Broadway, oh yeah, a play will run for a year or six months or some will close for two days. I would like, what I would see is having more time for uh, a show to grow and to be seen the same way that, um, you know, like some TV shows are getting canceled after an episode or two. S same situation here. I would hope that shows could last longer because I've seen artists in different shows through the years and within their craft, they've grown so much. And then you think, wait, like if this whole show could keep on growing, how great would it be now? So I would say more yeah, like a, a longer life for shows in general and the possibility to, yeah, just to, to live, basically, yeah. Give them a space to breathe and evolve. Yes. Exactly. Not, not being so obsessed about is it bring enough money or I feel like now the industry is really about we need to change all the time. Move, move. So yeah, we can't keep a show for too long. It needs to be fresh and exciting. There is that one and then there is this uh, idea that we need to make it quick because people's attention spec is getting smaller and smaller. So let's have the show as short as possible. 
we don't need four hours opera clearly all the time. But this idea that oh no, the act needs to be only a minute and a half now because we're getting bored. So I think we're all assuming that uh, audiences are getting bored quickly, which maybe is true at times. But um, we don't need to change the show every month. We don't need to make acts all thirty seconds long. Or yeah, give give us some time, people. <laughs> yeah. Do you think we could, in a way, educate audiences to bear with us while we keep these shows alive for a longer time? I hope we could educate them. And for one of the things we, we talked about a bit earlier is anyway, stop trying to record and capture the show and just be with us. I would say even, well, with, with that in mind too, like it's there is a debate happening now about uh, people not being able to use their phones when they're attending a show or seeing a movie. And people are saying, well, if I need to reach my kids or if a friend needs me and needs to let me know about X or Y, I need to be able to text them. Like, if you can't put your phone down for sometimes only half an hour or two hours, there's something I think we need to educate the audience about that. Like, I'm As an artist, I'm on stage. I'm This is my passion this but also this is my life this is my income and i want to share something with you i now and at the moment you know with the pandemic we don't get to perform i could go in a studio and run my act for a gray wall that's not the part of it yeah so basically i'm touched and happy that you're here and for me the full process only ends once i've shared my work with an audience so all I'm asking you, like my only, I don't, honestly, I don't even need you to clap in a way, but I would like you to watch the show. So please put your phones down. So where can people look at your work online, uh, your YouTube channel or your personal website? Is this something you want to share with the audience? Come and read my articles on Dear Art Life. That's already something. But otherwise, I'm not very present on the social media. So sorry. Come and, come and read the articles of Dear Art Life, though. They're great. They're great. And they're great, great contributors, do. And I think, you know, your work and your articles express the passion um, and investment in the industry that you have because of the manner in which you go into detail uh, to interview the people that you interview. And I think it's amazing the, the, the quality of the content that you get when somebody in the industry is interviewing another person in the industry, right? So it's not just a person asking the superficial questions. You're really digging into their process and their work and their life. And so it's the, if you haven't read Martin's articles, then you should go and read them because they are a wonderful insight into many wonderful performers, artists, musicians that he has interviewed and written about in the last uh, three years. Thank you. I'm glad to hear you. Well, I, I know you like them, but it's nice here too. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much for spending some time with us today. Pleasure. It's been great. Thanks a lot. And hopefully it won't be too distant till we see in person and I can actually give you a hug. We'll get it. Imagine we'll get there. There is hope. Shows will happen. We'll, we will get there. <laughs> Looking forward to it. We would love to hear from you, our listeners, on who you would like us to feature on this podcast or what topics fascinate you. There's a link in our podcast description where you can send us your podcast requests and guest nominations. 
Theatre Art Life provides regular monthly webinars and podcasts for free, and if you have the means, donations can be made via a link in the podcast description. We would be thankful for any support you can give us. You can learn more about Theatre Art Life, the global media site for entertainment, at www.theatreartlife.com, and you can follow us on all social media platforms. We want to thank David Zare for composing the music for our podcast and Michelle Shirota, who is our sound engineer. We are your hosts, Anna and Anna, and this is the Theatre Art Life podcast. Thanks for listening.